You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 209. Did you really do, was that edited in post or was that real? <laughs> no. I'll do it again. You want me to do it again? Uh, no, that's okay. 209. There it is. 209. All right, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify. No, just kidding. Uh, Spotify, Stitchify, uh, wherever you find your your podcasts. Uh, visit us at codingblocks.net, where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, rants, links, whatever stuff, social stuff. What you know, there's things there. Yeah, words. I don't have the lungs that Outlaw has, so I'm just gonna you know stick with the short words. Um, send your feedback, questions, and rants to our comments at codingblocks.net. Email the old way. Uh, you can go to Slack, codingblocks.net slash Slack, and do it the new way. Um, you can follow How us. How crazy is that? Will you send me an inter-office communication? <laughs> on Slack, please. Um, you can follow <laughs> us on the Twitters at codingblocks. And uh, we should probably sign up for a Blue Sky account. I'm going to do that right now, uh, if I can. Waitlist. And uh, also, uh, codingblocks.net, you can find other social links at the top of the page. With that, I'm Joe Zach. I just feel like elongating it. I'm Michael Outlaw. <laughs> he's practicing for his, uh, he's going to start doing events at like, uh, it's no longer the Georgia Dome. It's Mercedes Benz Stadium, right? Oh, yeah. 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 There we go. Yeah. Uh, me and Tay Tay, I think, are performing tonight. And, I like uh, it. Yeah. I like it. Uh, so with that, I'm Alan Underwood. Not going to be doing any events. I did see a sign because, you know, she's in town. Right. So I don't know if you saw this, the billboard where, it, you know, like Atlanta is often referred to as ATL, the airport code. And it said A-T-A-L. And I have a hard time saying it every time. A-T-A-L. I mean, dude, that lady Try has to say that fast. such a cult following, man. Like, di- didn't people go crazy when when uh, Ticketmaster had problems with her concert? Like there was like just a mutiny because of the Taylor Swift debacle. Yeah. Well, I think there was other things at play there, though, right? Like where, like tickets have been pre-sold beforehand, or something. Like they there were not enough available, or something. Like there was there was other craziness involved there. But yeah, she definitely has an extreme following for sure. So I heard she's in town, and they expect a hundred thousand people to be in town this weekend. They're like, if you have something to do in town, you either need to get there at two o'clock in the morning or skip it. Well, what's also worse though, too, I don't know if you know, but Miss Janet, if you're nasty is in town, Jackson. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Cause her, cause I think her show got delayed because both of them are overlapping. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So they're both overlapping now. Yeah. Yeah. That's you'd think the people would plan these things out better, but you know, the funny part about that is that's probably because they thought there was no way the Atlanta Hawks were yeah. going to a game. They're six. Like, What's <laughs> the chances of that happening? <laughs> Come on. Happen. I've seen them play. Yeah, I've let's seen schedule it. Janet. We got yeah, this. We got it. It's, it's okay. <laughs> oh, It'll be fine. It'll work itself out. Just trust me. It'll be fine. We're going to take a gamble on this and it's going to pay off dividends. It's <laughs> amazing. So, Hey, uh, real quick, we did, uh, outlaw myself. We had a chance to go meet with Jamie Taylor. If you don't know him, he does the .NET core podcast. If you're into .NET, definitely go check that out. He's been doing that one for years. They've got, he's also got another one that he does with, uh, uh, James and Zach and they do tabs and spaces. That one's also very entertaining. It's very much like the style of the show that we're doing today where we're just talking about random topics 
And then he's also got one about video games called Waffling Taylor. So if you haven't checked out any of those, go check him out. Jamie is an awesome dude. I, I, th- I had a good time um, catching up with him. Uh, we even we even talked a little bit about work code stuff. Um, so, you know, everything from, you know, just what's life like to, hey, what are good development practices? And did you get any Jaffa cakes? We did not get any Jaffa cakes. I feel I like got Jaffa been- cakes. I got oh, cakes. Man. Hey, those things are actually interestingly good. They're not real food, I don't think, but <laughs> they're pretty tasty. You know what? I forgot to ask him, the, what, uh, and I'm going to ask him now, because I've always wondered, like, because his handle on Slack is GA Progman. Uh-huh. And I always thought, of, like, when, when I first saw it, like, years ago, I just assumed, like, oh, he's a programmer. He's a guy who's a programmer, lives in Georgia. That was my immediate like reaction to that name. And then, but wait, he lives where? No, right. not like, so like, cause he's overseas. Right. So I've always been curious, like, oh, what, what does it mean? Do you yeah. guys know? I have no idea. I mean, maybe it's gap rog oh, man instead of Georgia. No, Prague it's, man. it's the capital G capital P. Oh, he does do it. Does capital he? Yeah. M. So yeah, it's G G a prog man. Yeah, so so maybe he'll he'll fill us in here. Yeah, I forget. He told me once because I asked the exa- exact same question in the exact same way, and he told me, and that was years ago. <laughs> it's gone now. Uh, and if the A was this, was capitalized, I would assume it would be like you know a like a code level, like general availability, kind of like release type reference. So yeah, I'm confused. So yeah, Jamie, let us know. I forgot to ask you. I'm sorry. Yeah, good stuff. But yeah, it was really nice to catch up with him. Um, He's an awesome dude. If you if you get a chance and you like podcasts, definitely go check his stuff out. Yeah, it was awesome. And and Alan definitely picked a great place for us to be able to hear everything that was said too. That was thousand percent. Yeah, totally by choice. Totally by choice. We ended up in the Hard Rock, and what was it? Maybe third grade class or something. I think it was. Yeah, there was definitely like a a third grade retreat going on there. uh, You know, field trip to the hard rock cafe and they were singing every song that would come on as loud as they could, but only like the parts they know. So it was so hilarious because like the YMCA would come on. (laughs) They knew the alphabet part of the song, but you got beyond that. And it like the place kind of got quiet. I mean, we're talking like 130 decibels, right? Like it was, it was louder than a football stadium. (laughs) It was crazy. It was the, the real uh, insanity of it was when they left just how quiet you could hear a pin drop and it was like oh wow but by that time your ears are ringing so it didn't matter yeah it was it was fun but hey it did give us a chance to actually eat our our sandwiches and stuff in between right well in fairness i didn't say how big the pin was that dropped that you could finally hear so (laughs) that's right oh man so yeah good time all right so this particular episode, yeah, on with the show. This particular episode, we're we're kind of just going to talk about some things. This is more water cooler style, and one that has sort of bugged me because it seems that this is always the case. If you wrote a piece of code, does that mean that you are the one that has to support it and own it forever? Like, is that how things are supposed to work? Well, wait a minute, because clearly, based off of your tone, I'm assuming you are thinking of like 
in a business setting, not like code you wrote on your own for a, a freelance project or open source project. Yeah, that's fair. I guess if you do it for an open source project, you kind of do own it. But but yeah, I'm talking about... Well, even if know, it was an open source project, it would depend on how open source, like, you know, yeah, if it's, yeah. you know, on your own private Alan Underwood repo that's right. open, quote, open source, that's different. But if it's like, oh, I contributed to Kubernetes... Yeah, I think they'd almost treat it different, right? Like right. if you're working on just a huge open source project, then you're just you're nobody, right? Like you, you don't just contributed, own it. Yeah, you contributed some lines of code, but at work, it seems like if you, it doesn't matter how big or small this thing is that you create. Like, I mean, we've all done it, right? Like we've all written something, and and from the most minor things that go wrong with it to the most major, it's like everybody's like, Oh, well that's, that's Alan's. Well, worse than that, you know, that we're all guilty of, well, Alan wrote that. You should probably go ask him. Yeah. I think the idea is that it's faster and easier for him because he's more familiar with it. Even, even if it's been a break, but the downside is, is like the longer you've been somewhere, like you just get stuck. You're like saddled with these things that you worked on years ago that no one else is touching. And you know, it just makes the problem worse where now no one's familiar with it five years later. And you know, it's like even harder for them to get into. You know, it's funny, you know, you said we're all guilty of it and we all are right. Everybody who's ever programmed anything is guilty of this, but I, I feel like I really try my best not to go on um, poke the person that, that did something like, I mean, I have tons of examples, but I will try and get stuck before, before I like go knock on somebody's door. Right. And and I feel like most people don't do that. I feel like most people they're like, "Hey, this thing uh it's throwing this error." I'm like, "Did you did you search the code for that that text and see what happened?" Like, no. And the reality is if it's been more than a few weeks, that's what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't remember the logic flow to get to this exact point. So, Hey, do you remember know. verbatim says bit of code that you wrote three and a half years ago? Because I'm getting this obscure error. It's a uh, error. 8,123 minus four divided by pi. Do you remember what that means? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, or, Hey, this thing didn't start. Do you know why it didn't start? Yeah. Um, <laughs> cause I wrote it for windows 95. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Why are you still bothering me? <laughs> And you know, here's the worst part. And this is, I think this is the part that drives me the most insane is you can do your level best to make it so that people don't have to come to you for it. Right. So you can write wikis, you can have readmes in the code. You can have, you could do everything you, that you it's possibly can. Information goes to die. That's the place. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we've joked about this before, but I, I totally believe it. The wiki is the place that information goes to die. Oh. Well, there's also one other benefit of wiki is you can passive aggressive aggressively like throw it at people. So like people ask you questions, be like, uh, "I answered that. I guess you haven't read my wiki." You know, it's right, it's right here. That's so amazing because that's exactly what Jay Z does. Because yeah. because he's not a he's he doesn't have a combative personality. He's not confrontational at all. Yeah, at all. Right? Like it, it, you can't create a fight with Joe, but he will definitely drop wiki leaks on you. And- <laughs> that always makes me giggle a little. You mean wiki books? That's right. <laughs> yeah. If Joe wrote it, it's it's complete. <laughs> like, here you go. It's uh half of this is wrong, but not this part. 
It's yeah, almost, I, I try not to be passive aggressive. Like I try to just you know kind of do it like helpfully, be, and you know try and encourage the people writing the wiki. But every time I say, it, I'm like, oh man, I sound like such a swarmy little something. You no, know? you don't. But the way you said that though, it was almost like you could substitute the technology there or a, you know a, a word there, and it would sound even as hilarious as what you said. Where it'd be like, sounds like you don't even subscribe to my newsletter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, if you listen to episode two hundred six of Coding Blocks, you would know. If you yeah, just read right. my blog, <laughs> that's right. You know, you know, though the wiki versus the readme. I mean, we've had this discussion in the past too. I love the readme in line with the code. Oh, I no. love it at the root. You I can love never it. have too many readmes. No, totally. Like put them in every module. Right. There should be the baseline one that is, Hey, this is how you get up and running. This is, you know, how you get things set up for your environment, blah, blah, blah. Nobody has to go find a wiki, right? Like they don't have to know what to search for in the wiki. They have the code. They can open it. And then every sub module, put a readme in there. If there's anything that, if anything, that's probably the one, the one place where I think I get frustrated is. You know, there'll be all these things to start up a thing. And this, I guess this is why people come buggy, right? Like, hey, I see you have this command line runner and there's these 12 options. I don't know what they do, right? Put that in the readme. (laughs) Put it in the readme. I'm a strong fan of information about the code should live with the code and iterate with the code. So it should be a readme in the repo next to the code. Like if it's about how to use this thing, how to run this thing, you know, like that, like what you just described, that's in a readme next to the code. If it's, hey, here are the 18 environments, you know, like information about them or architecturally, like how, you know, we're, we're doing things like that might be in a wiki. Sure. Fine. But things about the code live with the code. I agree. Yeah, you can do images and videos and stuff and, and link those in there too. There's not, I think it's still a case for a wiki. Like there's reasons like meeting notes, things like that. Um, sure. You know, stuff like that, like schedules and stuff like all that stuff is nice to have in a wiki and it's easier to link. Like it's hard to link from one readme to another. Because, oh, you know, you move it and it doesn't update all the links, you know, stuff like that. But, but that was one thing I was going to call out though, is that you can, <clears throat> Alan was talking about like have like the parent readme and then like submodule readmes. You can have readmes that are like linked to other readmes, you know, yeah, like GitHub will interpret that. Yeah. And like or even Visual uh, Studio Code will. Yeah. It's just, and you can do the whole control click. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't like automatically update if you move a readme or something, you know? Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, it, it's rare. That's not a reason not to do it. Yeah. True. Um, but I will say we, you, you do end up moving directories and stuff a lot more than what you think as you start figuring out better patterns and things, especially when you move to new languages, right? Like if you lived in a Java world forever and you went to Python, you're probably going to do things in a non Pythony way at first. And then you're going to realize the error of your ways. So, yeah, but I mean, like what I, what I am not a fan of is let's say that you have a, a repo and to get that thing running requires say, you know, some number of steps, right? Beyond just compiling, right? Cause maybe there's environment variables you need to set or authentications that you need to already have sorted out or whatever, you know, but if you put that stuff all over in a wiki, then like as that code is iterating and changing, well, the instructions in that wiki, which version of the code do they refer to? Right. right. Cause they didn't, they're, you know, 
it's not like they're linking to a specific commit. They're just like, generally, this is how you do this thing. Right. But if you put it in with the, the readme, then, you know, maybe as you check out different branches or different commits or tags or whatever, maybe the instructions change with that particular version of the code. And so that's why I prefer things about the code living with the code. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And I would say also get into the habit of, as you make changes with the code, think about, hey, is there anything in the readme that needs to be updated to support it, right? For that very reason, because it does version, right? Like if you check out on last week's branch of the code, it should have a different readme if something was changed um, significantly for the new week's code. So um, it is a fantastic way to let other developers help themselves as they're going through things. So PRs, MRs too. So it's a good chance for someone to say like, Hey, I see you changed arguments, but you didn't change the, the readme. Like that's not oh, going to happen with a wiki. That's a great point. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, on, on the thing of, should you support the stuff you work that you created? Should it be yours forever? I, don't, I personally don't think so. I think do your best to make it to where people can, can find information on it by the readme by a wiki. You can link to a wiki from the readme, right? Um, try and make it to where they, they can, and then passive aggressively send them the readme link. It'd be like, Hey, um, here you go. So I don't know. I, I feel like we should be better about everybody spreading out the support and, and understanding of things so that you don't have one single bottleneck on anything. I, I feel like Joe sends out the wiki links, you know, and, and I'll send out like, here's a link to the readme because I love how like GitHub, Azure DevOps, they all will do this where like they will interpret the markdown for you, you know, so you can see this pretty view of it in the, in the browser. And so I'll send those links out. <laughs> I do you, the same. You question like, how, how does this work or how to use this? Or like, well, what does that parameter mean? Here's the readme. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because I used to, I used to like send the path to the file on my system, you know, like root repository, whatever. And over time I was like, you know what, exactly what outlaw just said. I know that this thing is formatted pretty in, in GitHub, or if you have an on-prem Git or whatever. So I'll actually go find the link to the file directly for the branch directly. And then that way (laughs) they go straight to it. And, and there's no questions. Well, maybe this is a tip of the week then for you, because in Visual Studio Code, you don't even need to find anything. You can just right click on it and say open or copy remote path, file path, and it'll give you the URL to the repository version of that file. Oh, that's good. I didn't know that. That is tip of the week material right there. Yeah. So you, you and you can get like if you wanted the relative path. So like you were saying, like how you would you would previously give them like the uh, a link, you know, a, a directory path based on the repository. So like, Hey, wherever you have the repository cloned, this is where you would find the file. You can do that too. But if you know the file, like in that type of situation, I'm like, you know, command P type in the file name, then the Explorer tree on the left automatically navigates to the file. I right click on the file, copy remote URL, boom, paste that into Slack. There you go. And that's my passive aggressive version of Jay-Z done in a readme fashion. I love that. that I know that works with GitHub. I wonder if that works for like other other sourcing or other like source code repositories. Like is GitHub, you know, it's like it's it's not just that path, right? You, you know, like GitHub.com slash you know, org name slash repo. And then it's but like it would be based on the repo or something. Yeah, but there's like there's all that little thing that you need to there's like that the branch name and then the tree, right? There's like some other word in there. I'll look it up. 
But yeah, it's not blob. just a... Uh, I don't think it's blob. I thought it was like... I thought it was tree. But it's not uh, It's not like a standard URL. There's not like a standard for Git, you know, website hosting paths. Um. Yeah, I mean, blob, you could be right. It, right. it might be uh, specific to to GitHub. I could have swore this existed too under Azure DevOps, but both of those would be Microsoft products. Yeah. So if I follow, maybe there is some standard or convention. I, I just assumed it was based off of the, the, the dot Git folder. Like it knew how to, how to manage, how to the traverse remote. that repository. Right. And now you're just like, Oh, swap in remote name here. But maybe I'm wrong. Still, still a good tip. Yeah, there's, so there's my quasi tip of the week because Joe had to go and knock it down with a wiki. <laughs> well, no, according to the wiki, that doesn't work like that, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I just like to be a jerk. That's a good Joe impersonation, right? That sounded just like him, too. Yeah, yep. totally. Totally not. <laughs> <laughs> totally not. Wait, what? Uh, all right, so. That was hashtag nailed it. What are you talking about? <laughs> nailed it. Uh, that's hilarious. All right, so here's here's another one that I was wondering what you guys like just your thoughts on this. So there's always something that comes up that's a work item that is not super appealing, right? Like it's it's work that seems like it's not going to be fun, it's not it has to be done. Do you raise your hand for that to take one for the team? Um Knowing that you're trying to do something for the greater good, like what, what are your feelings and why are your feelings? I think sometimes, I think some of that work is like really important, even though it's not, you know, fun, but, uh, and it's, you know, you should volunteer if you've got the space for it, but you'll see like over time, like there's certain people that will just never volunteer for stuff like that. And I think that's not right either. So I think, you, you know, maybe that's a conversation with the manager or something be like, look, I've, you know, I've taken the last couple ones for the team. We need to spread this out. Okay. What about you, Outlaw? I mean, I'm just thinking about from my own past experience where like, at least, I mean, I feel like I've absolutely done that in the past. Um, you know, others might argue that, but, uh, no, I'd say I, you definitely have. I, I just, I just kind of view it as like, I, I think though the, the examples that are coming to mind though, like I like empowering other people like that, that, that multiplication kind of factor, you know, where I did something for the team. And now because of that, like I, everyone else is going to be able to like benefit, you know, greatly from it, you know, kind of thing. So, <clears throat> cause the kind of things that are coming to mind, like when you mention them, I'm like, Oh, DevOps is definitely like, <laughs> I feel like this is definitely a DevOps thing, right? Like where you take one for the team and you're like, okay, I did this thing. I made it better for us. And you know, uh, I, I put the work in, but like we all benefit from it kind of thing. I mean, I, mean, I know that's not what you're talking about, but as definitely like an, a, a take on it. DevOps can definitely feel that way. I'm talking about more like, Hey, there's a project that needs to be done. Everybody thinks that the success rate's going to be garbage. Um, you yeah. know, you're working with stuff that is hard to work with and maybe even working with teams that, that don't really even want to deal with it. Like, but it needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think like the, the bigger one though, is like when it comes to, Hey, here's an old bit of technology and we need to, 
we don't want to rewrite it. We don't want to change it, but we need to like add a feature or update something on it. And That's nobody wants to take it because they're right. all like, well, I like to work on the shiny new thing, not on right. that turd. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. What What are your thoughts on that? Just I mean, take it. Yeah. I'm of the, I, I, yeah, I, I'm with Joe. Like if it needs to be done, I, I will do it if that's what's asked of me. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So it, it's funny that all three of us think very similar on that. I, I think that might be why, why we are the type of developers we are. I think, uh, you know, I've definitely taken them for the team, you know, like here's this thing that nobody wants. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'll do it. But I do think what Joe said is really important. There are some people that will never raise their hands for that work. And it's not right that some people always get tasked with doing the dirty stuff, you know? So you got to figure out a way to balance that out with a team to make sure that that you don't have one person always stuck in the mire while, while other people are always getting to do the fun stuff or, or maybe it's not even fun. Maybe it's just the not, taxing stuff right like there's some stuff that's just taxing because there's a there's a super tight deadline and you know it maybe that's the other thing right like it may not even be hard it's just that oh this has to be done and it has to be done soon and so it's going to be a grueling type thing to get to get through or maybe it is a tight deadline but it's also uh like mentally grueling <laughs> right to go yeah. Through. yeah i mean it's okay, I think, to take those on occasion, but you also have to balance out the mental health aspect of it too. Like, there's some things that'll just drag you down, and it, and and it's hard to come up out of that rut sometimes. So, yeah. Um, the, here's the other thing to it. Sometimes there are pros to doing that, right? And the pro might be you've created a trust with with your team or your management that they know that you're one of the people that's a go-to person. Um, but that may also create the con <laughs> because they know that you're the person that they can go to, to get these things done. And so they've built that trust and and they're going to lay, they're going to lean on that trust over time, you know? So. Yeah. That's the people problems are the, the worst problems. They're the hardest. They're the hardest to solve. They really are. Yep. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess for anybody out there doing these type of things, you know, there are benefits to it, but, but definitely try and balance it out with, with other people on the team who can, who can do those things. Yeah. I mean, you build good karma though. You do. (laughs) At least you hope you do. You do. you, You hope you are. Yeah, it's it's seriously it's one of the tougher things that I think as a developer you deal with ever is like man I know this is gonna suck real bad <laughs> do I really really want to raise my hand and offer to do this right and so I don't know somebody's got to or somebody's gonna point you out you remember like you'd sit in class and the teachers like hey does anybody know the answer to this and nobody raises their hand and eventually they're like all right well you outlaw. <laughs> tell me oh you were asleep all right um <laughs> wow yeah. wait way to go like i'm not even paying attention in your fictitious example that's right totally. I'm that's asleep? What happened. i mean i saw it happen so <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah i mean that's what eventually happens and you know what you know what really stinks about that is sometimes 
the wrong person will get picked for it. And everybody starts grumbling about it. And then you're like, well, well, hold up. How's everybody upset? Like nobody volunteered to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, we got to get in here before Joe does because otherwise things go sideways quick. <laughs> uh, if you haven't already left us a review, uh, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. We do greatly appreciate reading those. Uh, they do put a smile on our face. They mean a lot to us. Uh, I mean, over the years, you guys realize like we are in our 10th year right now, right? That's crazy. And, and over those years, nine plus years, we, some of the stories that, I mean, they're truly, uh, you know, they, they truly play the heartstrings, right? Um, I think I said that phrase, right? Um, but Tug on the heartstrings. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Dang it. Yeah. I was so close. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there've been some really, some really, uh, heartfelt messages that we've received over the years. So we do really appreciate those and, and appreciate and thank those people for reaching out and sharing those stories with us. So, uh, if you have something you want to say, uh, you can find some helpful links at codingblocks.net slash review. And with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. Hey, you know what we haven't had yet? Nobody's like named their kid after coding blocks or anything. So yeah, I guess, you know, we still have room to grow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, saying, I don't know. maybe, maybe not. I call my kids blockheads all the time. You don't? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Outlaw McGee. Sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> Wait, you wanted them to name in, in your world, the naming of the kids would be after the three of us. So, so somebody would name their kid Joe oh, Zach. Yeah. No, like Outlaw Underwood. And then whatever your last name is. Outlaw under Zach. <laughs> there you go. Uh-huh. Smith. Out, or they out, have under Zach. out under Zach. There we go. <laughs> Something. Yeah. yeah. No, it, this is a terrible idea. Nobody please do this. Huh. You do this all day. <laughs> no, actually, I endorse this. I, I'm looking forward to hearing what could come out of this. This might be the most amazing thing. This is the most amazing idea we've had yet. Oh, I'll get a tattoo if uh <laughs> <laughs> don't believe them. Yeah, for real. Where's this Visual Studio one? Uh, I I can't I, show you. So <laughs> <laughs> no chat. You, you don't want to see it. Trust me. I, I'm trying to even remember like why you promised to get a Visual Studio tattoo. Visual Studio ever came out on Mac. Oh, is that what it was? That's yeah. right. And it's it, crazy. It, like Microsoft was so different back then, ten years ago. Yeah, and then it did. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you still owe us a tattoo. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to listen to your uh, your one about the names. All right. Well, uh, like I said, we head into my favorite portion. So this is episode 209, according to Tetco's trademark rules of engagement, which we now all understand what I mean by that. Yes. Uh, it is Alan's uh, turn to go first. So let me grab a create that winning streak again. <laughs> to create. <laughs> oh, that was awesome to create that that winning streak. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to give you an easy one to start with. Then. No bias here, but you know, uh, uh. name a three letter word that starts with the letter Z. Really? That does not start with Zoo. letter Z. So Zoo. I'm sorry. Zoo. All right. Z- this was uh this is from California, right? 
Do these questions have a des- a, an origin like that? Like that's- I mean, the show is shot. Like I don't know if these came from. So if it, if it included the you know the UK and like oh because I, I didn't say Z. Oh, yeah. it could have right. been Zed. Okay. But I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the California word. I'm gonna go zap. Zap. Okay. Yep. I, I think I got this one. <laughs> okay. So number five answer on the board. This one's gross. Zit. Oh, Ooh. yeah, yeah. 13. Number four. That's pretty high. Zen. Yeah. 413. Okay, good. good. Oh, let me actually move this off over here so I can see these two things at the same time like a smart man would do. <clears throat> um, number three answer on the board is Zap for 15. Right. 15. Pretty good. Pretty number good. two answer on the board for 18 points, Zip. And rounding it out for 40 is zoo wow look at that <laughs> all right that's so, not even a commanding lead i don't feel good about this so it's california by the way <laughs> figured it out here you go joe you ready for there this one no zed yep name an office supply you'd use to pick food out of your teeth <laughs> uh geez that is uh, harsh. Uh, I mean, I would just use paper. A piece of paper? Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. That's going to get stuck in there. Then you're going to need the paper clip to get, get out it out. Paper. Yeah, that was my second choice. <laughs> okay. So yours is paper. Alan, yours is? The paper clip. Paper clip. <clears throat> uh. All right. So uh, number six answer on the board is tack pen. Or oh. pen for six. Oh, no, 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 no. Letter opener for number, the fifth answer for eight. Fourth answer, oh, staple, nine. That'd work, yeah. Pen or pencil is the number three answer for nine. That's, that's not, that's use a pencil, really that's going to make it worse, right? Like, right. Now it's like, why are, why are your, your teeth, teeth graphite colored? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Number two answer on the board for 12 points, paper. Or an envelope. Really? You can get a, an envelope. Can you imagine getting a paper cut on your gum between your oh, teeth? Oh, no. Man. Remember, like, you remember when we were kids, did you guys uh, have, like, what's grosser than gross? Do you remember those kind of things? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what the paper clip cut between your teeth reminded me of. Oh. Yeah. Like, what's more painful than painful? Okay. Number one answer on the board for 53 points Look is paper that. clip. I feel a little bit better right. now. Got some breathing metal. room in here. I can't here. do the metal. Oof. Obviously, swallow it. <laughs> you don't accidentally swallow a paper clip. You use it to take something out of your teeth. <laughs> so, Alan, uh, as is tradition, you get to pick the next and final question. All your right. choices are name a weather condition that would be a good name for a wrestler. Name something that has the word super in it or name something that parents can't wait for their children to get out of. <laughs> the third one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let me get out uh, of. Yeah. Hey. So I don't even care if I lose this one. This was pretty fun. Okay. Go. <laughs> The house. The house. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your kids uh, aren't around when you just said that. Like, uh, they can't hear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mom, Dad said you want to go to the house. 
That's wow. And I'm only 12. <laughs> Jeez. I'm uh. running away. Oh, God doesn't even want me here anyway. <laughs> That's the right answer, but I think I know the number one answer. Yeah. Uh, diapers. Diapers. Ooh, that's a really good answer. All right. All right. All right. Number four answer on the board, and, and the lack of options here should give you some indication. Number four answer on the board for four points. Ooh. Teens slash puberty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I get that. That's not a bad answer. Oh my god! How is that not number one? <laughs> right. I'll take diapers any day of the week. <laughs> yeah. Here's the misconception because Joe said diapers, but diapers are like you know, like every couple hours there might be like, oh, I gotta go change the diaper. No big deal, right? But when they're going through puberty, man, Teens. it's like mm-hmm. nonstop. <laughs> like that's. Yeah. Like you're literally, you have a crazy person living in your house. They are insane. Yeah. Yeah. And constantly mad at you because you chose <laughs> to breathe. Yeah. Right. How dare you choose to breathe? Yes. Um, number three answer on the board for 21 points. Ooh, these are climbing. School or college. Thought about that one. Yeah. Number two. Diapers. Wow. Did I get the number one answer? Again? 35 oh. points for diapers. diapers. Ooh, okay. Number one answer on the board for 36 points is the house. Look at nice. that. I nice. took number one on all of them. Wow. Somebody, nice. somebody is continuing their winning streak of one. I studied. <laughs> studied? <laughs> I studied. Okay. That's amazing. All right. Got the winning streak back. We're yeah. good. So well welcome. Hey, uh welcome to the to the winning circle here, Alan. Uh I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll, we'll give you we'll give you a first time winner's jacket. <laughs> It'll be in like coding blocks blue, you know? There we go. Yeah. Masters has their green jackets, we'll have the blue jackets. Be out under out under Zach. Be written on the back of it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Under Zach <coughs> Outwood, under Out Zach. Yeah, we'll have to work with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's going to take some work. Yep. I think you need another syllable in your name, Joe. That's the problem. Yeah. You have these two one. one syllables, and we can't work with that. Yeah. He, yeah. Get, he gets to steal the whole part of it. See, we could be like Joe Underlaw. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See where we get to go with this? You're ruining yeah. things, Joe. <laughs> I, I'm I blame your parents for your stupid name. Hey, wait, but you said on a <laughs> show too. that 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 wasn't your original your original name, right? Like it was Polish or something. Yeah, yeah, I can't pronounce it. Like Zach okay. is it's Vesky got like twelve syllables, so we should. Yeah, go depending back which to the, cousin you ask, like they all say it differently and spell it differently. You, you guys, are you even related? Do you have your own? Uh, do you have a side show that we aren't aware of? This like. Joe between two computers or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joe Zach Galifianakis between two yeah, computers. Yeah, good luck Googling it though. <laughs> well, I can't spell it. No, you can't spell it. Awesome. No way. All right. All right. So I had one more that, that popped into my head that drives me crazy. And I think Uh-oh. we've talked about it before, but mm-hmm. this is, we definitely have. You, you'll get. You'll get some uh, commands from up above that you have to hit a certain uh, 
unit test coverage or code test coverage number with your stuff. And man, that drives me crazy. So like, I, I I'm curious you guys' thoughts on, on test coverage percentages. So versus the actual usefulness of the tests. I, I, okay. So here, here, I do not have a problem with having a target, um, percentage of code covered by test. Okay. Uh, I, I think that that's, you know, not a crazy metric. If you wanted to like have a PR gate, for example, around like, Hey, uh, you know, you introduced so much new code, you brought the percentage down. You, you, that implies that you aren't testing it. And so therefore we can't merge your code in until you do that. The problem that I have with this though, is that when others above will say that that number needs to be really high, because to me that, that number and like the PR gate example that I gave, you know, it, if you aimed for like 70 ish percent, give or take five, you know, like to me, that seems like a reasonable thing. Right, because there's absolutely going to be code that cannot be covered with a unit test because by definition it's an integration. It's integration test code, right? You know, or or integration code, because it's like trying to actually connect to a database or whatever. So there's absolutely code that won't uh get covered. And but you know, you'll have sometimes they'll these really high numbers that'll be given to you. And the example that I was given to one of our our, fr- our friends was that you can have a, a code, you can have code that is a hundred percent test cover covered by test. That doesn't mean that the code is bug free or correct or good or anything like that. And so the example that I gave was like, imagine if you had a simple a simple function that that just took in uh, two numbers and you know it was called divide takes in two numbers and returns back a result, right? You could absolutely <clears throat> write a test that gave, you know, uh, four and two and expected an answer of two and boom. Now that method is 100% uh, covered by a test, right? Right. So as far as management could be concerned, hey, our code is perfect because we have 100% test coverage. But then the real world comes along and the first time that a zero is thrown in as uh, the divisor, Suddenly your code is broken, right? Right. And so that's an example of where like a hundred percent test co- coverage does not mean what some think it means. Right. And it's not a it's not like the metric that you should go after. It's not the and, metric and, you should care about necessarily. And to your point, all it means is it was referenced once in a test. Right. So a hundred percent coverage doesn't mean that you thought about all the cases right. for the use of that code. It's just, you touched it and I exercised it once. <clears throat> right. And, and the part that bugs me more is like when you have things like Pojos or, or Pocos and, and C sharp or whatever, like those are not classes you need to test. They're data movers. You put a value in them and you move them. And if you're writing unit tests that, <clears throat> that check to make sure that you didn't pass a string for a number. It's like, is that a useful test? I don't think it is right. Like I think that's, that's writing test code for the sake of having test code, you know, a POJO or any of that, like those shouldn't matter. Um, business cases, the, the divider is as simple as it is, is actually a good, 
a good example of something that is is testable, right? Hey, you know there are are cases where like putting a zero in for a divisor should throw an exception because it's not you can't divide by zero. So that's a a, a business um a business rule, right? And that's what you should be testing with unit tests. An integration test should be testing that the flow of something from point A to point B works as expected. Now, those are going to be slower, but in my mind, that in some cases is more useful than trying to test something like, well, in every case, that's more useful than testing something like a POJO. And that's why when when like blanket blanket statements like you need to have 80% code coverage or 90% or something like that, it's like, man, no. That doesn't get you to the point of what I think testing is supposed to be, which we've all talked about before, which is the confidence to make a change. And I don't think any of what we just talked about does that. All that does is say, hey, we have a really high test code coverage number. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with all that. I can't say anything uh, (laughs) really extra other than it. I think it's good to have a goal. Uh, having it on be unreasonable is just demotivating, but you know, you got to pick something and it makes sense to pick something high. But the problem is, is if you start going after like, um, if you make an unreasonable requirement of like, Hey, the test code coverage has to be like a hundred percent, 95%, whatever, 90%, you know, just something high. You can game that you can completely game mm-hmm. that. And you're not, uh, you know, really getting the goal that you want. You're right. just, and, and in fact, what you as the manager don't even realize that you're doing is you're actually encouraging your people to game the system so that they can get to that number so that you can like check your box to like, and, and try to convince your upper management, like, Hey, we are, our code's perfect, dude, hundred percent right. test code coverage. And really like to Alan's point, it doesn't mean anything like, so what you ran it through one test case out of an infinite number like no you're not even like pushing you don't even necessarily have to push it to the extremes i would rather i would much rather have code that might not that might have a lower test coverage percentage but what code is covered is thoroughly ran through its paces and right? it's crucial to your 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 app your project whatever right like make sure the the backbone of your code. The thing that does the important work is thoroughly tested and is good. That seems like the most important, like when, when outlaws talking about like gaming it, like we were talking about this the other day, um, me and some coworkers, like one of the ways people cheat this type stuff is they'll just put code that they think shouldn't really even be tested in a try catch. And then it's tested. You, you could totally put the thing in there. It could fail and you try catch it and it's covered. Like, Gaming the system sucks. It doesn't help anybody. So creating unrealistic targets also sucks because it it encourages people to try and figure out ways around it. It, is, it reminds me of passwords. You guys remember when they were like, oh, your password needs to, it has to change every time. And so people were like, okay, this is ridiculous. So instead of having a really strong password, uh, people would just use the same password and put the month number at the end of it or something, right? Like, yeah. When you give away when you, all my secrets, right? When when you enforce bad rules, then you basically make it to where people don't want to have to deal with it, right? Yeah, I mean, like 
we as a as a civilization, right? Like we're we're pretty good at problem solving. Like that's that's how we have survived, you know, thousands of years, right? Uh is figuring out how to survive and problem solve. So if you put some obscene obstacle in our way, we'll figure a way around it. Right. That's that's the that's the end of it. Yeah, man. <clears throat> so um but this is actually a pretty cool segue into my question that I have for you guys, which is what's a technology that has reignited excitement in you? Uh, I guess I'll go first. So, you know, a GPT is something that I think is really cool. I've been playing around a little bit uh, with it, but there's also uh, Google Bard, there's Llama, there's a couple other things. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of innovation in space. It's really cool. So, like, I, I started working on a little thing that would let me compare results across, uh, like, Bard. And, oh, not Bard. Uh, I don't have access to Bard yet. Dang it. But, uh, like, GPT uh, has an API and uh, uh, Alpaca. So, I can just, like, have one prompt and kind of see what both, you know, do. It's a totally, you know, kind of silly and doesn't really accomplish much, but I'm just you know, kind of experimenting with it. I think it's cool. And also unity just game dev in general has been really fun. It's so different from what I do like day to day. It's fun to make stuff like, you know, jump up and spin around. Now, before you answer Alan, do you think that Joe got that answer because he went to chat GPT and chat GPT said chat GPT was the thing? I think so. Yeah. yeah. It yep. sounded like that. That's what it said. I'm yeah. supposed to do. Think about myself, <laughs> man. That So that's interesting. I mean, Chat GPT and all the AI stuff out there that, that's coming to life now has me interested and curious, but I haven't touched it. Like, like I know Jay Z is always messing with it, right? Like he's uh, the gift for, for Secret Santa for for Outlaw was generated from an AI thing from him. Like he's been messing with this stuff quite a bit. So, um, from the information he's been sharing, like I'm super curious. The thing that I've actually touched that ignites interest in me. And I've always said this, I love big data. I love huge amounts of data. So like streaming technologies still to me are just, I haven't gotten to mess with them as much as I want, even though I gave a presentation on, them, you know, a couple of years back. Um, oh, great. Now I'm thinking about donuts. Way to go, Alan. Right. Donuts. There we go. Um, but those yeah, who didn't I mean, see it, his presentation was on streaming donuts. Yeah. Streaming donuts. Um, the challenges when you start thinking about unbounded sets of data and how you have to do state and all that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. I mean, there's sort of hard computer science problems to solve a lot of times, and those are fun. Those are interesting. So um, I'd say that was probably the one that that most has grabbed my interest over the past several years and kept it, honestly, which is which is crazy. That doesn't usually happen. <clears throat> So I guess I'm I'm behind the eight ball, you know, compared to where you two guys have been here uh, recently in our professional lives, only because just the way, like you taking talking about taking one for the team, right? Right. Like I've definitely been on some, uh, you know, year you know, two different like year long efforts that uh, put me behind the eight ball and stuff. So there were like things that you guys were talking about, and I'm like looking at it like from the surface, and I'm like, yeah, that does look cool. That does look really cool. But I never had a chance to like super dig in, you know, dive in and, and like get, uh, you know, like more than just a toe wet, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so this is why I say, uh, this is a great segue because you're talking about the test coverage and all that. So for me, it's been Kotlin here in the last, 
uh, you know, several weeks. And in the in the segue there was because you were talking about pojos and all that, and I was like, oh yeah, well, Kotlin actually like makes it super clear. This is a data class. Like, yeah, that's all I all data. that's all yeah. I expected of this thing. It's literally named. There's a keyword data. Boom. It's a data class. And if you try to do anything else with it, you know what's wrong with you. Um, yeah, there's just so many cool little like smart things about it that I'm like, I really, I really. Uh, you know, that's, that's like super well thought out. Like one, I got a tip of the week coming that I was like, just super in love with like how clear and expressive it was like what was happening there. But, uh, but on the other hand though, there's, it's not like it's necessarily perfect though. Cause like the bang bang operator and Kotlin kind of like upset me because I'm like, wait, this means something different in other languages. And we've kind of already agreed on like what this means. Why are we, why are we changing the, this definition, you know, Instead of the, the, yeah, yeah, instead of it being like related to not nots or whatnot, uh, not not whatnot. Hey, I just did that. I like it. Um, <clears throat> that just happened. But uh, yeah, so I'm just and also, and I guess this is a segue into my next comment here though too. I think that part of the thing that has like made me super in love with it and like just appreciative of it and you know enjoy. Like, it's just, can we just say like, what a pleasure it is, <laughs> you know, like, like, uh, just to write in Kotlin, it truly is. Right. But going apart, going along with that though, it's kind of in an old school kind of like dopamine hit was like, when you do have a question, right. JetBrains documentation for Kotlin is amazing. It's outstanding. It is awesome. It's like. Yeah. It's like back, you remember back in the nineties when like the MSDN documentation was the thing, man, like yes. nothing touched it. Right. Yes. It was like, if you had a question, boom, you know, there you went. Right. And of course we all loaded the MSDN documentation like on off the CD onto our computer or the floppies, you know, depending. Um, yeah. Cause it was that awesome, you know, until, until it got all webified, <clears throat> but uh, you know, I, I say that that's a segue in my next comment because what is also frustrating is that from the beginning of time for Java, right? They, there was this concept of Java doc, but the frustration in working in like a Java ecosystem is that where some projects and or developers or whatever will treat, will can think that, Oh, well we have Java doc. So we have job, we have documentation for our project. Here you go. And you're like, that's no, it's, it's okay. I see what you did there. Like, yeah, you gave <laughs> me a web page that says, yeah. here's the method name and here's the parameters. This parameter is a string. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell that before. Yeah. No, you really went out of your way with that one. Why would I use that? Like, when do I need to use that? Like, right. You may be an example of like when and why and what. It, oh, it's so frustrating. Uh, so, so I, I I strongly, I have, I have, if any project where they like treat like, Oh, our Java doc is our documentation. I'm like, "Uh yeah, like I'm already like antsy. Like it better be really good Java doc. Then it never never is. I've never seen good Java docs. That, that goes on to my whole rant about bow dung or bail dung or whatever it is. Like, they are just a step past Java docs in most cases. Like, you know, they sort of lead you to, 
what you sort of need, but they leave out all the import statements. They leave out all the con, leave out all the context. Like you can't actually make anything work from their docs. And it's like, I give. Oh, I mean, the, the, the Kotlin documentation is such a pleasure because like if you do have a question about something in a lot of their, uh, code examples, there's a play button. You can actually, you know, experiment and execute the code right there in the browser and be like, well, how does this work? What is it? What if I want to do this? Like, what does it do? And then boom, and there's a link to a playground if you needed to take it further. Like, it's Kotlin so for the win, it's got to be like the best technology that's come out in like, you know, one of the top technologies that's come out in recent years. They're, they're up there with the C sharp documentation because, uh, .NET also went to that same whole thing, right? Where, where if you had a question about code, they've got the stuff on the page. They've got the Git snippets. They've got all that stuff. Did um, they put live examples though with the play button? I haven't seen that lately. They do. Yeah. Um, it shows I you how much C sharp development I've done recently. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft was always like top notch, right? Like they were always, always tier one. And, and Kotlin is right there with them, which is shocking because you'd think Java would be as long as it's been around and as, as much time as they've had to get there. And as popular and as not, it is. Yeah. yeah and it's instead of crap. The one thing that I do really appreciate about how, uh, the current MSDN documentation that Microsoft provides is the GitHub link. You find a problem, yes. here's, the, here's the GitHub repo. Go submit a PR. You can fix that documentation yep. or improve it or whatever you want to do. Uh, the Kotlin documentation doesn't take it that, that far, but still I'm not going to hold that against them. But yeah, that's, I mean, the streaming stuff, definitely. I I mean, how do you not like solving those kind of problems? Right. They're def they're definitely, uh, big, you know, they're interesting, right? Like, I mean, the windowing, like if, if you've, if you've never had to deal with, with data coming in, in some sort of stream versus a batch, just look up windowing and your whole world will go, Oh, Oh yeah. <laughs> how do, how do we, Ooh, I never thought about that? that. Yeah. Yeah. How do I solve that? It's just, it's really interesting problems. I mean, any kind of problems at scale, which is basically what you're, you're, you know, in a nutshell, you could kind of think of big data streaming uh, problems as like a, a, a way to solve data at scale. I all scale problems are like super interesting, right? Like who was it? Um, and it wasn't Martin Fowler. Uh, uh, who was the screaming, um, code one, uh, I don't stack know. overflow, uh, streaming code. No, the screaming the the the, um, oh my gosh, his like avatar. He's like, his screaming, like, got oh, the hair. Oh, Jeff uh, Atwood. Yeah. I believe it was Jeff or, Atwood. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that had like an article about like all things are, uh, fast for small N, you know, does that ring a bell with you guys? Mm -hmm. So like, you're like, yeah, okay. Who cares? Like whatever, you know, but when you can make something fast at like the large scale, right. That's when it's like, oh, super interesting, which is what you're describing. Yeah, totally. That's exactly what it is. So, um, but uh, you know what? Uh, Jay Z definitely had right. I should have gone to Chat GPT and asked Chat GPT. That's so good. <laughs> that's what, that's what we all done. You said yeah. you have a phone app. You have. Uh, I just go to the website on my phone. But uh, yeah, like uh, if you can't use it at work, like you can still get advice for it. But like you know, depending on your work policy and like what their you know reasons are, what they're trying to avoid. Uh, yeah, it's like still nice sometimes to just just pull it up in your phone and be like, how do I do this stupid Excel formula or like. 
this function is deprecated. What should I be using instead? As long as it's before like 2021, 20, you know, early 22, then you're good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think, I do agree with you though, Joe, like it is going to be interesting to see like, where does that take us? You know, there's definitely like a lot of, uh, you know, experts that are talking about like, you know, ramifications and, and things like that. Like, what is this going to mean for us? So there's definitely a lot of excitement there. So that's why I was saying like, I'm definitely behind the eight ball. Cause my dumb answer was Kotlin, you know, meanwhile you're picking something extremely topical. Um, no, but, to- uh, great. you know, um, it, it, I am excited to see like, where do we go from here? And like, I told, I don't know if I said this on the show, but, um, I think I talked about this with, uh, you know, family or friends, I forget, but there was a comment about, um, you know, with, with things like chat GPT, where, uh, you can like ask it like in your example, like, Hey, how I want to write a function that does X, Y, and Z, or I need a script that does blah, 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 you know, in, and then chat GPT will put it out and everything. And, and somebody made a reference or a comment about like, well, I wonder if like, we're going to need developers or, you know, we're like, is this going to be the end of developers or some, something to that kind of effect, right? Which that type of comment has come out before. Right. And, and my response was, well, I don't think it's it's ne- I don't think it's necessarily going to replace us. It's going to the industries that'll be, and it's not just developers. It could be like you know legal or whatever, right? Um, you know the 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 people that'll succeed will be the ones that know how to use the tools. Yes, and ChatGPT is another tool at our disposal, right? It'd be like if you're trying to fly the Enterprise and you don't know how to talk to the computer, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And there's some things that it's terrible at too, like things that you would think like math. You would think a computer would be good at math, right? And uh, just other stuff like you got to remember, like this thing is not like a person. It doesn't really have intents. It's a language model. It's literally just stringing stuff together probabilistically. And it's easy to forget that. So I think that the sooner you start kind of messing with it, the better you'll get at using it. And I think that the people that do start are just going to have a head start on where tooling and stuff is going. Yeah. It's excellent. All right. Well, uh, we'll have uh, some links in the resources we like section uh, for all of this. But with that, we head into Alan's. Oh, no. Oh, so in the resources we like, we were talking about the Kotlin playground, that kind of stuff. I went and just grabbed one example of the Microsoft stuff um, where they have something very similar to that, where they have things that they're teaching you what to do. And then they've got their little playground thing on the side. But this, so, is, that's, this is their learning thing. This yeah, is a this little is bit different. different. This isn't their documentation. Their documentation has things in line, like what you were talking about, like run this code here or whatever. But I couldn't find that as quick because I, I couldn't think of a, a method to go. Yeah, that chase doesn't after. count. That's a learning thing. That's but not it's documentation. Good, right? It's good. It's yeah, it's good. definitely good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I'll, I'll find something else before these show notes go live. But yeah. All right. So with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Hey, you're kind of muted, Joe. So nobody more nobody than kind of muted. You were <laughs> actually <laughs> muted. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I was just. I usually don't. I think I am. But uh, yeah, I decided to drink water right when I was. Anyway. Uh, so I got two tips here. Uh, one from Dave Fallout. Thanks, Dave. Warp AI is a currently free, but won't always be terminal for Mac OS that integrates uh, an AI. I say NI AI because you have two choices. You can run a local AI which means your stuff isn't getting uploaded anywhere. Ooh. So none of your context and your files and your stuff is being uploaded, or you can do a cloud-based AI. And uh, I actually have installed it, but then I haven't been on my uh, personal laptop for a while. I haven't done any coding stuff, so I haven't used it much. 
but it does have several nice features uh like that i've got uh i'll tell you in a second uh and sorry i'm getting ahead of myself yeah so command prediction which is just what you might expect so it's like you know better than normal intellisense it'll actually kind of help predict what you're uh trying to do and fill in some stuff with like tab auto completion a quick error lookup which is really nice so imagine like you get an error code like when you run a uh, bash command or just you know like you run a python program or something and you get some uh you know like exit code npe line 2005 error code abc uh then what they do is um they give you a convenient shortcut for just clicking on it and like not doing a google but actually uh you know doing some sort of like ai kind of base recommendation for what you might need to do to correct that problem um integrated search which is nice uh, so you can actually search for, you know, recommendations with uh, things that are not AI based, like, you know, Stack Overflow, Google type stuff, which is actually kind of crazy to think that, like, my terminal doesn't already have that. I never really thought to want that. But now I kind of do because I really hate tabbing out of the context that I'm in. I want to stay there. And of course, it's got an AI prompt, so you can just kind of ask questions or whatever. And so that, yeah, that's Warp AI. It is uh, Mac OS only. Uh, for the moment so it has to be pretty dang good to get me out of iterm too but we'll see it will be uh, i got another one for you so this is a book called nature of code and this is uh thanks to micro g for suggesting this code and what is it is um i don't i guess i can say the word physics it's a book on kind of like the the type of physics uh stuff you would be doing in games or just visual programming so like the first chapter is all about vectors uh adding vectors finding intersection you know point the points where two two uh, vectors would meet um finding you know parallel finding tangents just you know things like that it's got chapters on uh forces uh i don't know what oscillation <laughs> means here but uh cellular automata fractals just kind of like cool visual type stuff and uh it's at a low level so it's not really um you know, like starting with any specific, I think it mostly does um, processing as a language, but it's more about the kind of the principles behind this stuff and how to integrate them with programming. That's one thing I noticed with like, you know, like physics 101 type stuff from like high school, college or whatever, like you learn these formulas and then you go to kind of do them in programming. It doesn't translate super easily sometimes. And so it's the way you kind of think about stuff when you're doing it on pen and paper uh, versus, uh, you know, we're doing it in like a programming language is different. So it's kind of cool to have a book that bridges that, that gap between like kind of low level physics type stuff and programming. And the book is totally free, by the way, you can order a physical copy if you want to like a print on demand type thing, but the entire book is available just on the website. You know, I was going to say that they, <clears throat> I was going to be disappointed that maybe like, uh, an opportunity had been mi- missed, but then, when I go and look at it and I see that in fact, uh, the author, Daniel Schiffman did in fact, take advantage of the opportunity that I'm thinking of. And I super appreciate did this because there is a quote from captain over Roger, Roger, what's our vector, Victor. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So thank you for throwing that in there, Mr. Schiffman. That, that means a lot to me. Yep. That's fun. You know what's going on. That's it for me. All right. So, uh, you know, I mentioned kind of teased this earlier about, uh, Kotlin and, uh, think. So one of the examples of like something super expressive that I thought you could do with Kotlin that I was like, Oh, what a, what a pleasure. So nice. (laughs) The map of feature in Kotlin where you can just literally like whatever your key is the word to, and then whatever your value is. So key to value 
done. And you can have like a whole list of these things and and it'll create that map of it. And where I needed this, where like, I was like, well, I don't really want to create, you know, uh, something complex for this, but I, I want to create just a simple JSON format of like these key value kind of pairs. And, and, you know, there's going to be multiples of these and I need it in a JSON format. And so, uh, Google has a JSON library and you can say to JSON of some thing, some object type, right. And it'll automatically return back a JSON representation of it. And one of the things that you could pass in was the map and in Kotlin, it just was so easy to get just a nice, simple, json representation of this thing using some like json dot two json parentheses map of key to value and and you know repeat however many keys and values you have but well, that's just i love where we're at i love where we're at can we just say that <laughs> it is nice it, when you get a little bit further you'll see to build lists One oh yeah thing list I, of. they have list of but <clears throat> They take it like to a computer science next step to where you'll have list of or mutable list of. Mm-hmm. So you'll know whether or not you have something that can change or not, right? So they're they're introducing some of the the tech um terminology into the things that you do. Well, that was one of the things that like threw me for a loop in the beginning too with Kotlin that I was like, why in the world did they change this? Like because like when you declare a variable, right? Like let's go back to old school way, right? Uh, you know, long time ago, you wanted to declare an int, you'd say int i equals zero, right? right. And if i was going to be a constant, then it'd be like const int i equals zero, right? And then, you know, languages evolve. Uh, for example, C sharp comes along and they're like, hey, you know what? If we can, if we can derive the type, you don't need to tell us. Just var the type and we'll figure it out. So, var i equals zero and implicitly we figured out that it's an int right based on how you're using it right um and but then in kotlin it was like well val i equals zero and we'll figure out what the type is or you know you could do val no i guess it would be technically yeah yeah and i had it right or or you could also do like val uh i colon int equal zero if you wanted to but then there was also var i colon int equal or colon int i equals zero you're like well wait a minute valve versus var like why why it's so weird because like everywhere else is var and then majority of the time in kotlin you want it to be val and what took me like a minute like i never read this so i don't know if this was i assume this is their rationale for it but i got to thinking because like in in kotlin to your point, Alan, val was something that's constant. It's not going to change. You can't change it, right? And But var is changeable. And I'm like, I hated it in the beginning. I was like, what a stupid subtlety that's <laughs> only one letter difference that's not even the first letter of the word. So you really got to be paying attention to catch that. But then what I grew to appreciate is I'm like, well, you're really being express, like totally expressive because – in my mind, val is, this is a value, and a value can't possibly change. It is the value, period. But if it's variable, it's a var, and a variable, by definition, can vary. And yep. so that's the that's the thing. And and like I said, I, I don't, I didn't bother to read it. So like, I'm sure that like other people are like, yeah, of course, dummy. Of course, that's what it was. But 
um, like it just kind of like dawned on me one day and I'm like, Oh, that's so clever. Those, those little nuances are why Kotlin is probably tied for first with C sharp in my love of a language is because they've made it very explicit for you to express what you want to do. Right. So the vowel versus var, right. The vowel can actually save you. If you try and reassign it, it'll throw an error. Yeah. It's like, no, you can't do that. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't really want to override that. At build time, it throws right. the error. At build time. Like it's a red squiggle as soon as you do it. Like you immediately know. And and the same thing with the nulls, right? Like I think every language out there, if they could go back in time, the nulls would like be, no, you you have to really choose to want this to be nullable. And that's what Kotlin forces you to do. Yeah. You, want you got to super nullable. like sign up to be like this variable can be nullable or this, right. this reference type can be nullable. So it, it actually saves you in a lot of cases and that's why it's fun. So continuing with the Kotlin stuff then, um, so outlaw asked a question the other day about the bang bang to his point, like it's different in every language, right? Or in most languages, it means um, truthy, right? Um, is this sort of true or is this, you you're know, like double nodding an operation. So you're saying like, right. hey, is, you know, is the variable true now? Is it not true? Is it not, not true? Right. So is it, and it's called truthy because it's like, basically you're just testing sort of, is this thing a number? Is this thing a whatever? Well, in Kotlin, that's not what it means. In Kotlin, it means, um, I have a variable. If I put bang, bang at the end of the variable, it says, Hey, this is not allowed to be null. If it's null, it's going to throw an exception. Um, and it allows you to do things like if you had a person class, um, and you tried to grab the age from that person, if the person object is null, then you can't get the age, right? So what you do is you say my person bang, bang dot age. And so that's basically saying, Hey, that person value can't be null. So go ahead and get the age from it. Well, outlaw, th there was some bit of documentation on, on the Kotlin thing that was like, Hey, um, you know, we convert this. And when they say convert, it's, it's, unclear whether or not they're making a copy of the object and doing something with it or whatever. So he asked the question and I was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's making a copy. <clears throat> Which but if led you me said down. you were going to convert an int to a string, you would assume that like, Oh, it's a new thing. Right. You're going to make a right? copy of it and cast it or something. Right. So, so he said that it, it just kept kicking around in the back of my head. And I was like, you know what? That you can look at the byte code and he's like, Oh, that's lame. Nobody wants to look at byte code. And I would agree. <laughs> I would agree, except for the fact that IntelliJ makes it so easy. So you can actually write code, some Kotlin code. You can, you can basically go up to an IntelliJ tools, Kotlin and show byte code. And so your code, your Kotlin code, you can highlight the chunk that you actually want to see the byte code of and it will highlight it over in the byte code section. And so it was super valuable. So it turns out it does copy something. Um, it copies a pointer in the stack to whatever that object was, but then it just does an assert, not null. And if it's not, then it just typecasts it. So it's not actually copying the value. It is copying a pointer to it. Not exactly sure why it does that, but, but it is interesting that you have such quick access to be able to see Hey, is this doing something nasty behind the scenes? So, um, you know, 
if you're doing Kotlin or anything, and I'm sure that they probably, IntelliJ more than likely has something like that for Java as well. Hey, show me the bytecode for the Java, and then you can go see what the actual compiler is putting together. So um, really, really cool stuff. And then I have to call out that Micro G went behind the scenes with several of us and, and pointed out this book. Oh, because, because mm-hmm. I, yeah, he cheated mm-hmm. on us, man. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, uh, yeah, the nature of code thing, I was like, Hey, that's going to be a tip of the week. And then, then I saw Joe's up there and I thought it was funny. So I had to, had to point <laughs> it out. So it's going to be in there twice. <laughs> All right. Alrighty, well, uh, with tips that are so good, we say them twice. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcherify, uh, wherever you like to find your podcasts. Uh, be sure to leave us a review. Like I said, uh, if you haven't already, you can find some helpful links at codingblocks.net slash review. Hey, and while you're up there, make sure you check out our show notes. We have lots of good stuff up there. Um, join in on the discussion more, and make sure you go check out our Slack channel. We have a lot of amazing people up there so you can go to codingblocks.net slash slack if you want to um get signed in over there all right and make sure to follow us on twitter at coding blocks or hey uh give at jack a little nudge on blue sky to hurry up our uh, invite there <laughs> and uh if you go to codingblocks.net if we ever get that set up you can find a link to that and all our other social stuff at the top of the page sounds good <laughs>